You notice how our team works there, just in case I forgot, which I usually do. Ryan picked up the ball to dismiss our children as they worship in a different place. We pray God's blessing upon them. Ryan, thank you for that song. It really was a prayer of illumination, prayer for illumination, uh, which is a fancy way of saying in our tradition, a prayer for understanding. Everything's falling off here. Um, Because these ancient words are, are words until the Holy Spirit imbues them with meaning for our lives and imparts something that changes you and changes me. Let us pray. O gracious God, we do ask humbly and earnestly that by the power of your Holy Spirit, these ancient words would change us from glory into glory and make us more like your Son, Jesus, in whose way we seek to follow the way of love. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, So we are not in a series anymore as far as worship themes and preaching themes. Uh, Last Sunday, so these, these couple of Sundays, we're following what's called the lectionary. Some of you may come from traditions that, uh, that for whom that's familiar. Lectionary is a three-year series of readings that, um, if you follow it, you really get kind of the gist of the biblical narrative. Um, and uh, it's helpful for preachers, so they don't have to just make a choice out of everything uh, each week, but they can follow the lectionary. So these last couple of weeks, we've followed the liturgical calendar. Last week was Pentecost. We worshiped outside. Some of you were there. Our children went around and put little uh, tongues of fire on everyone's head because the Holy Spirit fell on everybody who was gathered in that Acts story. Today is known as Trinity Sunday. It's the only Sunday in the church calendar that is uh, dedicated to a doctrine, which is such a word that is like, doctrine. But doctrine just really means teaching. That's it. A doctrine is a teaching. Uh, And this is the only Sunday in the church calendar, you know, we have Easter, Pentecost, that is dedicated to a teaching, the Trinity. So if I were to just ask you off the top of your head, what are some of your images or thoughts about the Trinity? And this actually is like not rhetorical, like just call them out. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Water, what else? Wind. Complicated, thank you, I love it. Was that cease? She's always telling the truth. Okay, yeah, it's complicated. And I just want you to know that we're gonna do some readings today. These are the lectionary readings for Trinity Sunday for this year, There's di- they're different, um, every three years they rotate. But I want you to know that in the ancient world, um, you know, it, we're post-enlightenment, so sometimes kind of weird, oh, you believe in God? That's weird, you know, come on, what about? That was not the case in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was the Jews were weird to everybody else, not because they believe in God, but because they believed in one God. 
The culture was, there's lots of gods. But the Jews were like, no, hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one, unified. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. So when these Jews who encountered Jesus feel like they are experiencing the presence of that one God in this person, Jesus, and then Jesus leaves them and says, the Holy Spirit, which we celebrated last week, is coming upon you, they feel like that spirit is the same God that they encountered in creation, in the law, in the prophets, in Jesus. So there's this continuity. Now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible anywhere. It's a teaching that developed because the problem in the early church was, well, wait, are you monotheist? Are you really just about one God? Because you, you go around saying Jesus is Lord. So do you believe in two gods? And then you've got this Holy Spirit thing going, do you believe in three gods? So the Trinity is a teaching, a church teaching, that says we want to express this continuity that there is one God that we have experienced in these three different ways, but nonetheless is one. So that's a lot. That was, that's not even the reading or the sermon. So, okay. Uh, that was much longer than I expected, so we might have to cut some things out. Okay, so the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but we're going to read the lectionary readings for today about the Trinity are from Genesis and uh, 2 Corinthians. So I'm going to ask you to participate, and when I point to you, uh, I want you to say, it was good. And when I go like this, I want you to say, it was very good. Okay, all right. So we're going to read verses from, I'm leaving some things out because it's so long, uh, from Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. And God called the dome sky. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God said, Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on the earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. And God saw that. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. 
God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that... And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind. And God saw that... Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion or stewardship over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the earth, and over all the animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created humankind in his image, in the image of God he created them, Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God saw everything made, and indeed... And on the seventh day, God finished the work and rested. The word of the Lord. God was busy, lots going on. Okay, the second reading is from 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, remember this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, uh, which incidentally was full of conflict. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Now, you will read some translations that will say, agree with one another, and that is not actually what it says. They didn't agree with each other on a lot of things. But it says, be of one mind. And remember, Christ, uh, Paul has told them, have the mind of Christ in you. So to be of one mind is to seek together to discern the mind of Christ. Be of one mind. Live in peace. I love that we pass the peace this morning. And the love of God and the peace of God will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, a sign, an ancient sign of tenderness and friendship. All the saints greet you. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen. So, what's my timetable here? I want to make sure we're doing okay. Okay. Um, Years ago, uh, there was a youth group gathering, um, and there had been some angst in the youth group around these Genesis verses. Because maybe this has happened to you at some point. They, they were in class, and you know, uh, the teacher was teaching something about evolution, and, uh, and one of their classmates started arguing. And um, the youth were like, <sighs> I felt like maybe I wasn't a good enough Christian because I, I really didn't really agree with what they were saying, but I didn't know how to say it. I don't know. Can I, can I believe in the Bible and believe in science? They felt this tension around it. So uh, we invited, the, the youth leader at the time, invited um, a science professor at University of Georgia 
to come and speak to the youth group about the, about the wonders and reality of science. And, um, and he was a Presbyterian elder, a person of deep faith, followed Jesus faithfully, was known for his faithfulness. And he came and he spoke to the group very eloquently about the wonders of God's creation. And so, but he never said anything about the Bible. And I happened to be visiting youth group that night because I, I just wanted to be there for the conversation. So at the end, I said, uh, I can't remember his name. Can you talk about the Genesis text and what those mean to you as a scientist and a person of faith? He goes, you know, I, I just kind of consider those unfortunate texts. I, I prefer to focus on Jesus. Now, before you pass judgment on him, have you yourself ever thought, well, the God of the Old Testament is kind of mad? I mean, I'm glad Jesus came along to straighten all that out. I really prefer the God of the New Testament. I really like Jesus better than... Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament uh, uh, scholar whom I, I feel very resonant with. And he talks about these texts in Genesis, the history of the more recent church, not, not, not in ancient times, but more recently, has been that we have fought over these texts so much, we are like the mothers who came to Solomon and said, it's my child, it's my child. And Solomon said, okay, well then rip the baby in half. We fought over it so much that we've almost destroyed them. And he says, just like Solomon knew that the real mother would say, no, 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 don't. Don't divide the baby. Because that will deprive it of life. Brueggemann says, we've got to approach these passages as, no, don't make them a forced choice between science and God. Don't, don't rip them apart like that. Let us mine them for what they really are, incredible promises about a faithful God, the God of Jesus, and the God of the Holy Spirit, because they are one. When we say things like, I don't really like the Old Testament, we are denying what the church so, so struggled with, and that is, no, 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 the God of this Hebrew scriptures was a God of love and faithfulness, and that love and faithfulness, we became embodied in Jesus, and we experienced that way, and that God of love and faithfulness is with us, present in the Holy Spirit, three in one. That's the affirmation of the Trinity. So I, I want to just speak briefly to what do we do with these, these Old Testament? This, this, the, what, 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 is, what are the promises and the call of the Genesis passages? First of all, they were used primarily early on in liturgy as calls to worship, as to gather the people together, and they were proclaimed to people who were in exile. They were alienated from all that was familiar and safe. 
And so they needed reassurance, and these passages affirm we worship a God who can call order out of chaos. And that was a message that the Israelites in exile especially needed to hear. We also worship a God who is life-affirming. Everything about this is that the source of all that is seen and unseen affirms life in all its fullness. The other ancient uh, Near Eastern uh, narratives around creation were often about dueling gods who got in a fight with each other and everything, and then creation came out of conflict or violence. Not the Israelites. They believed that all of creation came out of the intentional loving will of a God who affirms all of life. Life is a gift, is the other thing that comes out of this. All of creation is a gift. And this is, uh, this is a very parenthetical, but I would be remiss if I didn't say something about these verses that are, are used right now by, in the public realm by people to uh, really argue about uh, gender, who will want to take these, you know, male and female, there it is, and then behave cruelly, unlovingly. And I just want to say, this, this is a complicated thing, really complicated. But to use these verses as some kind of a proof of a position that's unloving, unaccepting. Uh, again, love does set boundaries, it does speak truth, it does, but it would be like saying, well, God said there's only day and night, so forget about twilight. Forget about dusk and dawn. There is a broad sweep to God's creation, and God said it was very good. And so whoever we encounter, we must see them in the light of God's good creation. The final thing I just want to say uh, is this, the reason this verse shows up, one of them, uh, is to, when God creates humanity, there's the, the thing, let us create. Let us in our image. That's a verse that the church has caught on to and said, that's evidence that God was in relation with Jesus and the Spirit in creation. Let us create. The Trinity, we've worked so hard to try to explain it that we have missed what it explains. It explains that the very essence of the God who created us in God's image is relationality. As Brueggemann says, in the beginning, there was relationship. Let us. Unity in community, unity in diversity. Doesn't mean we all agree, but it does mean that there's this, in the ancient world, they, they talked about periochoresis, right? And they thought of it as a dance. 
it was a, this word is related to dance, but it, and they would speak of it that way. It was, it's kind of like to move aside, to make room for. And very recently, I, I uh, officiated a wedding where afterwards, at the reception, uh, the bride and groom have, have spent time all across the world. There were people there from uh, all over the map, Japan, Jordan, and so they wanted everybody to experience something very American. And so at the reception, they did a square dance. <laughs> now, I used to, little known fact, I used to call square dances when I was a youth minister. Oh All join hands and circle the ring. Stop where you are. Anyway, so, but when the ancient world, when they talked about this, thinking about God as a dance. God is the dance. God is verb. God is the dance. I thought about the, um, the Greek wedding dances, where if you can see this in videos and stuff, it starts out with the bride and the groom and, and some of the family members, or maybe the wedding party, and they're, they're dancing and they're doing their thing, and then they invite up the next level of people, and everybody moves and makes room for the next level of people, the next level of people. Next thing you know, the whole party is dancing and moving together, and friends, that's the invitation of the Trinity, that God is relationality, dancing and moving and inviting us to be in that dance. And the thing I loved about this at the reception I was at, you know, if you've ever done a square dance, your partner changes. So you might start out with the person you like or know, but by the end of the night, I mean, you've had to dance with maybe somebody who didn't speak your language at this party, somebody you didn't know at all. And yet you, you figured out how to move together, how to dance together. That is the invitation of the Trinity. That is the invitation of God, is that we recognize in every person we see, God is inviting us to be a dance partner with them, to be curious about who they are and what it's like to be them and to love them. I went to a concert last night, and I'm going to paraphrase one of the lines from a song because it's a perfect prayer. May love embrace you in the dance that never ends. May love, may the God of love, may the triune God embrace you in the dance that never ends. Amen.